The Republican Party will remain the voice of the patriotic heroes. I'm running as a proud Democrat, but I will govern as an American president. And the masks are on or off. Either way, we're in for another wild ride with our cousins south of the border, this time with the 2020 presidential election just days away. Today on the program, we speak with Americans, Canadians and expats on both sides of the Democratic and Republican vote. This election is anything but cut and dry. And its political tactics are anything but new. This divisive, rancorous, bully tactic election is a reflection of what's sweeping the globe. Plus, a President Trump supporter in Canada tells us why he's a fan of the Donalds. But first, we begin with Maggie John and Pastor David Ireland on what's dividing America. Contention and division run deep in America. Our next guest leads a congregation of over 9,000 members representing 70 nations. Pastor David Ireland joins us now with some insights into this ongoing turbulence in the United States. Thank you for joining us today, Pastor Ireland. My pleasure, Maggie. Thanks for the opportunity. So on the heels of this unprecedented election, in your opinion, what are some of the issues that are dividing Americans the most today? Well, the focus of America is on economy as well as health care. You deal with racial inequality, that's another. Then you find even the environment foreign policy. Those are issues that are very divisive as well as gun control. And so those are some of the top issues according to the Pew Research Center. And so we're very passionate about those issues. In your view, what are some of the solutions to the polarizing, uh, polarization that's taking place in your country? Well, many of these problems are referred to as wicked problems, not in the moral sense, but in the fact that they're intractable. There are no solutions. What we can do, however, is inch closer towards having a much better quality of life. And so one solution creates another problem. And that's why these problems are intractable. So when you solve it, you think you're solving it, you're actually creating something else. Uh, and so my response is that you know, we need to work on our moral values and the role we allow our morality to, to drive our behavior. When we do that, certainly is going to impact gun control, certainly is going to impact equality. And so there are things that we can do, but we're not, never going to see perfection. And the world is watching as your country grapples through that. We're also seeing a division when it comes to faith. In fact, Pew Research found that the majority of white Christians will vote for Trump, while Biden seems to have a larger ethnic vote. As a pastor of a church with over 70 nationalities, why do you think the Christian vote is so divided? Well, one of the big reasons, Maggie, is the fact that Christians are not even functioning based on a biblical worldview. You know, there was a 2017 study by the Barner Research uh, Group, and they were able to, to unearth the fact that only 17% of Christians live by biblical worldview. And they define Christian as someone who goes to church once a month, and this is pre-COVID, as well as someone who says, I'm deeply committed to my faith. So a biblical worldview answers questions such as, who is God? Why do I live the way I live? Are there, absolute, are there moral absolutes? And so if a Christian doesn't espouse the biblical worldview, then I have to ask myself the question, what exactly is a Christ follower? Because our worldview is all over the map. And one of the things I'm thankful for, though, is that there is a, a clarion call by the evangelical community 
to be peacemakers. Mm. In fact, I'm a part of that coalition where Matthew59.org is a great site that points people to the fact that it's not about partisan politics, not Republican nor Democrats, but it's about values that are aligned to the scriptures and put people, the value of people at the centerpiece. Yeah. And so I challenge people, be a peacemaker because Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Mm. They'll inherit the kingdom of God. All right. Well, race is also front and center in this election uh, when it comes to, and also the division of the country. Where do we go from here when it comes to race? That's a very thorny topic as well. Yeah. And uh, I'm a, one of those re, uh, race scholars. My PhD dissertation was on the black-white relationship in large multiracial churches. And I'm even finishing up postgraduate work at Cambridge right now, focusing on on social innovation, coming up with innovative ideas and solutions for deep-rooted social problems. Mm -hmm. My research focuses on the issue of race. And one of the ways that we work on race is by creating this sense of what I call intercultural competency. How do I become more competent when I deal with people that are different than myself? And so Jesus tells me that we ought to have this welcoming perspective. I must be welcoming of others. The person that's different than myself, am I welcoming towards them mm. or am I afraid of them? And so it's something that it penetrates very deep in our hearts. And if we don't work at it, and the way we do that is by creating this sense of a bridge, a cross-cultural coach. And Maggie, I always challenge people that we need coaching, cross-cultural coaching, because sometimes we judge ourselves by ourselves and we don't have an external perspective. Right. And so, you know, I, I, would, I worked with the New York Giants and New York Jets football teams here in America. And, uh, and these football teams, on average, they have 15 coaches. Mm. And so you think about these super elite athletes that get paid millions of dollars. And yet, on average, they have 15 coaches each team. Why? Because these professional athletes recognize the value of being coached. Mm. I wrote a book titled uh, One in Christ, and that's why I'm coaching people what it means to be, to be cross-cultural. Yeah. And so I want to just encourage people that you can grow cross-culturally, but you need to also oftentimes confront yourself because we don't see ourselves. Yes. Well, such a complex issue, and we don't have enough time to talk to you, uh, Pastor Ireland, but thank you so much for your time today, and thank you for joining us from New Jersey. Take care. My pleasure, Maggie. Thanks for the opportunity. Making sense of a country's political landscape in our world today is a lesson in the aversion to diversity, so explains Redeemer Associate Professor Robert Joustra, who tells Context executive producer Susan Ponting why white evangelical voters in the U.S. make up a huge number and why their votes are generational. Great to see you. Yeah, yeah, nice to see you. Nice, good, yeah. Oh, good here. Fascinating. Part of the story is that, well, actually, white evangelicals have been Republican for generations at this point, and it's only recently that they've sort of nudged up a little bit more in the context of President Trump. So it's not this huge blowout that 81% makes it look like, oh my goodness, you know, it used to be 20% and then suddenly Donald Trump was the presidential and 81% of white evangelicals. No, it's, it's a marginal increase. So that's the story in a way. How are we figuring out what's happening? But it's not quite the sweeping narrative that you get when you hear big numbers like 81%. Dare I go to the Electoral College? <laughs> as crazily divided the United States is anything but united, is it as the media reports? 
these divisions are actually not new. Um, that you actually want to talk about rancorous, divisive, destructive politics. Uh, this is not something that this generation has invented. In fact, you go back to some of the early days of the American Republic, even you go back to elections in Upper and Lower Canada here north of the border. You had thuggery, you had intimidation, you had people paying bar tabs so that they could get the, you know, the right candidate to be voted, right? Uh, all the kind of stuff that, you know, if we sent in inspectors today, you know, go to an election in, uh, in Belarus, say, or something, and say, right. well, well, that's not right. That's electoral mismanagement or something. We had all this stuff, right? It's pretty. It's a pretty consistent theme in our history, and if we're missing it, it's because we've actually whitewashed our history. Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 that I think is is one of the things that you know is being called forward, especially by movements like Black Lives Matter and other kinds of uh, uh, social justice movements. They've been drawing our attention to the fact that, you know, uh, you know, if a if a black man is beaten by a police officer and nobody's there to see it, does it still happen? Well. Yes, it does. It just so happens that for the last 50 or 60 years, or several hundred years, we haven't been seeing it, and now we are. So are those divisions new? I don't think those divisions are new. I think they've always been there, but for the first time, we're aware of them on a mass level, and it's causing us to confront our past together. And I actually don't think that's a bad thing. I think that is a confrontation that's overdue. And it's not entirely clear um, how we will move forward together mm -hmm. on, on some of these things. And, and I think it's important not to rush past it too fast and say, oh, okay, well, that was, pretty, that was some pretty dark stuff. But let's just, let's kind of box that away. Let's Ignore. stuff it to our toes yeah. and get back to business as usual. Uh, no, I mean, I do think it's good to sit with these moments. Um, and I also think it's important to emphasize that there are, there are factors other than just sort of media exposure that are pushing, to, pushing us to this. The pandemic has exposed a kind of socioeconomic gap and inequality um, that has been a trademark of both the nationalist and populist campaigns, not just in the United States, uh, but you could go to Brazil, you can go to Hungary, you can go to Russia, you can go to Brexit, right? You can look at the resurgence of Hindu nationalism, if Modi and the BJP in India. You can look at uh, Xi Jinping and what's happening in Xinjiang with the Uyghurs, and you wonder, how are we managing diversity, right? And the answer is, as a globe, we have an awful lot of hard questions. So I just, I wanna kind of, I don't wanna put it too hard on the face of the Americans. Yes, they've got some tough things to deal with. Right. Yes, they, but they're not alone. This is, this, is, this, is a global, this is a global event that's sort of sweeping through. How will we manage diversity, and can we find peace in the midst of it? I know nothing about QAnon. I just told I you. I know very little. You told me, but what you tell me doesn't necessarily make it fact. You guys try to make us believe crazy stuff. No, but do you believe that there are Democrats and celebrities who are in a pedophile ring? Well, you yes. Know what? You do believe? I do. You yes, know what? I do. But why? Where did what do you make of it and the conspiracy theories surrounding... Oh, the Q QAnon? Oh, I've been reading everything I can about QAnon lately. It's, uh... Uh, some of the, I mean, I love conspiracy theories. In fact, my, my wife has, has said that I am no longer allowed to study more of the, because she said, I'm just, you're gonna get sucked into these things. Um, <laughs> you go down the uh, rabbit hole. I do, I, got, I go so <laughs> down the rabbit hole. I mean, it's fascinating stuff. I, I mean, it's, it's incredibly disturbing because of, I mean, how it, how it motivates and warps people into kinds of not only behaviors, but also outlooks on things. The white supremacists 
that's like a movement that 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 goes underground and then yep. comes back and goes underground. Well, this is the important thing to point out, right? And people are now saying this because you know people are seeing these marches at Charlottesville and these white supremacists and saying, where do these white supremacists come from? As though they popped out of the ground overnight. You know, we had no white supremacists in the United States until that riot, and then they you know magically appeared. Obviously, that's not true. I mean, what what we're finding, and this is what. Uh, is being put in our faces, as it were, is that these things have always existed. In English Canada, in some ways, uh, we have the diversity as our strength, um, which is a wonderful motto on some level, but then we don't have the ability to face up to the fact that we actually don't treat each other like diversity is our strength. We actually still do have quite a lot of racism. At least, I think, in Quebec, they actually are able to say, oh yeah, we have these divisions, and this is how we're gonna deal with them. Here we say, these divisions are our strength. And maybe they are, but are they really, if we can't even talk to each other about them? Right. Then I don't know. Then it, then it starts to look a lot like a weakness. I mean, I think the thing that gets in the way, and, and actually the, the historian Herbert Butterfield, I think, put this the best. He said, the thing that's in the way is fear. There are these organized systems of self-righteousness that have sort of convinced themselves of these mortal threats that exist. And that's on both, you know, the Democratic and Republican I see in their primaries and in their literature, not to morally equivocate them, but just to say that you see these systems that show us there are these things to be afraid of, and we are afraid. Um, and this is where I think the Christian message is so important for people of faith, time and again. When people encounter the living God and they are overwhelmed with him in the scriptures, the very first word that God says is, do not be afraid. Love him or hate him, Donald Trump is a polarizing and some would say divisive political figure with a supporting strong force of support behind him and against. Our next guest is a Canadian and he's definitely a fan. Danny DeSantis runs the Facebook page Canadians Support Trump. Danny, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So why are you such a fervent supporter of the president? Well, I mean, you know, when he first came out, uh, we saw something, you know, very different. We, we saw someone that, uh, uh, you know, speaks very different and, and really speaks to his base and uh, is very passionate, always loved... Uh, his country, and uh, you know, I, I took a look at some of his uh, policies. What we, you know, what he was talking about, and I, you know, really uh, drew me to him. And uh, you know, the media has, has been really dishonest in the, and every year that that, that goes by, you, you can see the continuous attacks and the slanderous, uh, you know, words that they they attack, uh, you know, this guy. And and you know, the more they attack, the more people come out, and they they really support. And I think we'll. See see that uh, November 3rd okay. uh, when the second his second elect you you organize a group online Canadian support Trump as a moderator what do you see there that we wouldn't see in mainstream media you know it's 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 really interesting you you see a lot of people that are very passionate and uh, strong support uh, I look I look at we, we don't look at divisiveness we take a look at, uh, I mean, I look at that group as a, as a family. Uh, you know, we really, you know, we have a, a lot of interest in U the U.S. politics because it's almost like a, uh, we really want the, the United States to, uh, to thrive and move forward. Um, and whoever it is at, at that point. But we see something very special with, with uh, Donald Trump. Mm. We saw uh, someone that's been attacked by the media 
someone's like, a, you know, almost like an underdog, and we, we really uh, support them. Passionate. Danny, do you see why some people feel maybe divided by Trump's rhetoric? Yes, I do. Um, you know, I look at that as almost when you're growing up and, you know, your dad is kind of lecturing you that, you know, you can't be or shouldn't be doing that. And they do it in a very different way. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, your parents do it in a, in a way where uh, they have more wisdom. They've been around. And, and at the end of the day, um, you know, they want you to, um, you know, to accomplish those goals. And that's what, uh, that's what I see with Donald Trump, how he's doing it. It's tough to, sometimes you have to do that uh, because you don't have the support, again, from the media, uh, from uh, many different outlets. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I can see it. But if you take a look at his policies, yeah, I, I can see people, uh, you know, really turning and uh, really supporting them. How do you think uh, Donald Trump and his administration have handled this pandemic, specifically the coronavirus? You know, look, this is something new. Uh, nobody knows uh, uh, about this pandemic. Um, and I think that if you take a look at certain things that uh, he, he stepped up, I mean, he shut down uh, flights coming in from uh, one China and, and, you know, he got attacked by, uh, you know, the opposition saying he's, he's xenophobia and, you know, all these crazy and everyone was just playing politics. But at the end of the day, there's, you know, there's a pandemic. Um, and, and then he followed through with shutting down flights from uh, uh, Europe. And then the, the biggest was shutting down uh, the border in Canada. Uh, and he's the one. He's the one that made that decision. Uh, if you take a look at some of the, uh, you know, the, the, some of the doctors, some of the head doctors, lead doctors uh, in, in the world, they went against uh, those very decisions. So I think, I, I, I think it's something new. I, I know that Donald Trump is not, you know, a, a doctor by any means. But I think he made is the right intentions, and I'll tell you, if he didn't do that, uh, you know, we're talking about two hundred thousand people that uh, that that have passed away in the U.S. Uh, I will guarantee you that that number would be tenfold. So I think he's doing a great job, and I All think right. that uh, his opposition is politics. All right, Danny DeSantis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Maggie. Now we've come to such a point of crisis that. I just had no choice but to say something. I this toxic and um, environment of bullying and vicious sniping needs to be turned around. And I really think that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris can do that. That was Caroline Giuliani, the daughter of Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump's lawyer, speaking about why she's supporting Joe Biden this year. So what if you live in a family with different political views? Sarah B. Anderson says it is possible to live together in unity and peace. She is the author of a brand new book, The Space Between Us, How Jesus Teaches Us to Live Together When Politics and Religion Pull Us Apart. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. So you grew up in a political family. Your father, Gary Bauer, was a Republican presidential candidate. Your mother worked in politics as well. So yet you grew up and changed your views quite a bit. How did that happen? 
Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't say I, I did a 180, but I think what often happens in a lot of families happened in mine that um, I grew up kind of experienced a world outside of the bubble that I'd grown up in, um, had different experiences and, and encountered people with different worldviews and started to see that there was just a lot more, there's a lot more nuance um, to politics than I had originally thought, and that maybe things weren't as clear cut when it came to positions and policies and ideologies than I'd originally thought. And so um, I just kind of encountered a world different from the one I grew up in and started to think that maybe there was a different way of following Jesus, because my faith really played a part in it, following Jesus than maybe um, I had originally thought. So your family is able to live through maybe different political uh, views on different things. Why do you think the world seems so divided right now when it comes to politics? Yeah, I, I don't think the problem is our division and, and our conflict. I think the conflict is actually a good thing because that means all of us are feeling comfortable enough to bring our full selves and our ideas to the table. I think the problem is the emotion behind the divisiveness and, and that we're, we're attaching um, people's character to their policy decisions or to the, the politics that they espouse. And that's where I think it starts to get really confusing and really muddled. And, and I don't think that's the road that we want to go down. I think we need to start seeing that people are more than the sum of their political choices mm. and that we don't want to just write a narrative around a certain person because of the political choice that they've made, but to start to see them in their totality. Such great, great points. When we throw social media then into that, we mm -hmm. see even more division. Talk to me about, you, about what you're seeing in the social media realm that is adding maybe to the toxicity. Yeah, well, I think echo chambers have always been a thing. I think what makes um, now unique is that we can live in our isolated echo chambers without even trying to. Social media has allowed us to be products of or victims of, depending on the way you look at it, the algorithms of the people that we follow and the articles that we click on. It's paying attention and it's curating our newsfeed to reflect the things that we already think. We can watch a news narrative, a channel that's going to support what we already believe. And so it is really easy for us to live completely isolated from people who think differently than us. And we just know from looking at history and probably from our own experience that the more isolated we become from people who think differently than us, the easier it is to dehumanize them and to turn off that empathetic response in our minds to, to how we engage with them. We really need that face-to-face -face contact. We cannot rely on social media to, to tell us and inform us what somebody is actually like. We need a real in-life person relationship. So how would you describe this age that we're living in today, Sarah? Um, I would say it's contentious. I would say that um, we have a lot of work to do. I think I'm probably more nervous for the generation behind us. You know, I've got two boys. I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, and they have said to me that they don't like politics because they don't like the way it's being talked about. And I want them to know that there is a better way forward. And I don't think we need to rely on our leaders any longer to point us into the right direction. I want to be able to demonstrate to my boys that there's a way to be in the world with people people who are different than us, that we can um, be in relationship with one another that does not rely on our sameness. We don't have to overlook our differences, but we can celebrate them. And I want them to know that there's a better way. So right now, I think we're living in the results of a world that um, is divided and is contentious and is bullying and is seeing our sides as the sum total of who we are. And I want to say that there's a better way and I want to model it for them. Yes. Absolutely. Sarah Bauer Anderson's new book is The Space Between Us, How Jesus Teaches Us to Live Together When Politics and Religion Pull Us Apart. Thank you so much, Sarah, for your time today. Thank you so much.
Over 600,000 Americans living here in Canada could make a major dent in who gets voted in on November 3rd. Diana English is an American living in Toronto, and she's also the communications director for Democrats Abroad. Diana, how are Democrats in Canada making their voices heard in the U.S.? Absolutely. So Americans in Canada are making their voice heard by voting the same way that they would if they lived in the United States. It's a little bit different for us. We have to mail it in. We have to plan a little bit, but there is still time. If there are Americans who haven't done it yet, for some states, you can still vote. Uh, we're encouraging folks to go to votefromabroad.org right away uh, to check what their state regulations are and to get their ballot back as soon as possible if they still can. And, and what do you think makes this upcoming election so different from previous ones? So it's a great question. I do think that there's a sense that we're in a battle for the country at this point, um, that the sides are so different, that there is um, such a clear difference between the candidates, um, and that there's a sense that many of the things that we consider to be the most important are on the line. Our democratic institutions, climate change, the ability for us to protect our families during a pandemic pandemic, that these are things that are on the ballot right now. And so there's a real sense of imperative to take care of ourselves and our families through voting. And I'm curious, what, what are some differences that you see as an American living here in Canada? I think the biggest difference that I see is just the compassion and the empathy uh, and the steadiness of hand that Joe Brighton brings to the ticket and that he brings along with Kamala Harris. Uh, we're Democrats abroad. We're part of the Democratic Party. We're trying to help make sure that all Americans vote. Um, but as Democrats abroad, I think what we see is is a truly caring leader in Joe Biden, um, somebody who is going to protect things like Americans' access to health care during a pandemic um, and help make sure that everybody can be safe. What impact have you seen um, as you look at the, the outcome that this uh, election will have on Canada? I think for Americans living in Canada, uh, we're worried for our families. You know, there has yet to be a national response to the pandemic. Um, the president has not chosen to really lead, um, to really take care of the country in the way that we need during this crisis. And so I worry for my parents. I worry for my grandmother who lives in Erie, Pennsylvania. I think all of us are concerned that our families are being left to um, sort of deal with the pandemic themselves uh, without the kind of national leadership that's really required from a president at this moment. And that's part of why Americans in Canada are so motivated to vote. We've seen a 90% increase in our own membership in Democrats abroad since 2016. Uh, we see more and more people trying to vote um, and trying to make sure that they can have their voice heard. And I think it's because we're concerned for our families and we're concerned for the people that we love south of the border. We've seen uh, Joe Biden speak about his uh, Catholicism, his belief in the Catholic Church. How do you see faith intersecting with democracy and this election? I think the cruelty of the current president is unprecedented in the Oval Office. I think the separation of family members, the um, uh, ignoring threats to our climate, which we are entrusted to steward, right, as people who, who live on this planet. And so uh, the cruelty and the, and the um, lack of care and compassion that we've seen from this president, I find um, to be deeply antithetical to the Christian faith and, and deeply troubling from a public leader. All right, Diana English from Democrats Abroad in Canada speaking with us from Toronto. Thank you again, Diana, for joining us today. Thanks so much. What we get instead is chaos, division, and a total and utter lack of empathy. That's something I've been thinking a lot about lately.
the ability to walk in someone else's shoes, the recognition that someone else's experience has value too. Most of us practice this without a second thought. If we see someone suffering or struggling, we don't stand in judgment, we reach out because there but for the grace of God go I. That is, of course, First Lady Michelle Obama on the importance of what our world is missing, empathy, a major component of our Christian faith as we pray for our leaders. And as we close today's program, a quick program note on November 4th, live at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Context will be joining forces with Cardis for a special live stream election analysis. Whether we will know the outcome on the 4th is not yet certain, but what is for sure is it will be historic. We could not produce this show without our donors of whom we're grateful for. And if you'd like to find out more information on how you can support Context, visit our website, context.show. For all of us here, thanks for watching.